Hello and welcome to Two Fat Expats. I'm Kirsty Rice and this is my co-host, Nikki Moffat. Hello. <laughs> We've been expats or global travellers for around 20 years and we're here not because we're experts but because we hope our stuff-ups and travel disasters may help you in your global travels. If you're on the expat journey, either beginning, middle or end, come and join our Facebook group. Two Fat Expats, where you'll find over 30,000 Fatterati to answer your questions. Okay, Nikki Moffat, we always start with a would you, could you. What's yours for this week? Hi, Kirsty Rice. I'm fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> you can't throw me off like that. You introduced yourself before. You said, Well, I um, said hello, hello, but I didn't say hello to you. <laughs> Would you, could you agree to remote parenting roles while in separate countries? So we've spoken before about communication plans for partners and for families and when we touch base and how we communicate and what days we set aside for specific things. But have we talked about parenting before and who's going to be making the parenting decisions and the day-to-day stuff if the people are in different countries? Just asking for a friend. And to to new listeners, Nikki's currently in Australia with her son while her husband is in Denmark with her daughter. Um, No, I think that's. A newsflash. Yes. (laughs) My husband is in Germany and my daughter is in Denmark. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? Is she in the house on her own? Well,. This was part of the parenting decision discussions we've had. Before I left, I arranged, there's three trips that Sam had to have in the six weeks that I'm away, which he hasn't travelled for 18 months and, of course, he has to do three trips while I'm not there. Mm -hmm. And so I arranged for a local contact and a local person to come and stay, one of her friends to come and stay with her. And I have to say this about my daughter and it's true. Her home is her castle. So she comes home from school and she gets out of all her school clothes and puts on her pyjamas and just kicks back and relaxes after a heavy day at school. She loves school. She loves her friends. She loves everything about it. But when she comes into the house, it's like her place, her sacred place that she doesn't like to be disturbed in. And so when I was being a responsible parent, arranging these people to stay with her while I was away, she was all nodding along in agreement, blah, blah, blah. And then when push came to shove, she's decided, no, I really don't want someone to stay with me. And when it was just one one night on a weekend, I was like, okay, so we've already gone through that and she accidentally forgot to arrange for the person to come over that night. But this to this week, it's three days and we had the, the pushy discussion. <laughs> oh. oh, that's tough. I mean, what what could possibly go wrong when you've got one 15-year-old in your house but to have two 15-year-olds in your house? They're, to be fair, they're very responsible 15-year-olds. I mean, the option was you could have someone come here and someone and the and the that family lives two minutes away uh-huh. and their parents are the responsible people for, for her. Yeah. Or she can go and stay with them. That was never going to happen in her eyes. Right. But what my, my point was was that I had to enter the discussion. Why did I have to enter the discussion? I'm in a different country. We made an agreement before I left. What am I doing in the conversation? Mm. Why isn't she and her father having this conversation locally? Yeah. And I think really the only way you can solve it is she should go with Sam on his trip 
<laughs> to Berlin. Yeah, that's really the best way to do it. Look, I think with the whole thing with remote parenting roles this is what needs to be decided before you go I think and 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 you weren't to know that this was going to happen I guess but um I I mean we did decide it and we made arrangements and then it all fell apart but it's not for this okay for this I understand that I have to enter the chat because we made arrangements and they want to change them mm-hmm. and I was the one that made the arrangements mm-hmm. but what about the can I have 50 krona to pay for the school form or can I have some money for my riser court mm-hmm. why am I in that conversation I don't need to be because I'm not even in the same time zone mm-hmm. I'm not awake when she's awake I- you know what I mean are you more likely to say yes? No, I'm the person that does that on a day-to-day basis yeah. when I'm in the country because I'm the person that's around more. So, so she asks me those questions. So do you do the classic ask your father? Not when I'm there. Right. In this case, yes, ask your father. Yeah. But not because I'm trying to push the decision off because I'm trying to move to yeah. a parenting model where he is in country so He's the parent. So I guess what you're saying, Nikki, is your, your advice to new players who do this <laughs> is that you should have a conversation with your partner before you go that they will be taking those decisions while you're away. Yeah, and I think the thing is we, we I guess the thing is we thought we had the conversations and we thought we made the agreements. Uh-huh. But then the the situations arose where I'm getting the messages on my WhatsApp not in the group chat, not anywhere where it's everyone can access the information. Just can I have 50 krona for the formal? Of course she's going to get it. doesn't matter who she asks. Yeah. But she just asks me because she's used to asking me. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think it's you think you have the conversation, that, but maybe you didn't. Maybe you just have to try and overthink parenting things. It's an interesting one for you because you both are evenly split with children at the moment. You have one and Sam has one. But, you know, your question, Nikki, is the eternal question, I think, of mothers around the world, whether they're, uh, they're yeah. remote or not. Do you know, why do, I, why do I get asked all these questions all day about admin? Yeah, and, I, you know, I think it's the same in same-sex relationships as well, isn't it? It's not just a mother thing. It's that there's one person that is shouldered with that and there's one person that manages to... Lies under the radar yes. out of the country. Yes. I don't know. I guess this was the perfect opportunity, wasn't it, for you to show Sam exactly how much you do in a day? Well, I, I also thought it was an opportunity for them to have a better relationship because they both, you yeah. know, wanted to try to do that. Yeah. Or they both made lip service to that concept. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that... I don't know. I, I just think it's very difficult because we did think we had the conversations. It's not as if I'd, I left the country not planning. Like I, I did all it. I, we had discussions, group discussions together, and we made the plans. And then, and then this still happens. So mm. it is what it is. And um, by the time this podcast comes out, my husband will be back in the country, and everything will be fine. <laughs> Do you think there's an element, Nikki? And I think we've spoken about this before. You know, I always talk about how I went to London with G you know, when the kids were little and my parents stayed with the kids. And that was my first because G had travelled. He was at that stage of his career, he was travelling 70% of the time. And I was in Canada with the kids and he would come in and float out and come in and float out, whatever. 
And uh, we got to London and I would be constantly thinking about uh, what, what, what the time was in Canada, what, whether the kids would be up having breakfast, whether they'd be at school, what them coming home from school, you know, whether I'd spoken to them in that sort of period of time. And I realised that for G, he just wasn't in that mindset at all. He felt perfectly comfortable that they were with my parents and they would be perfectly safe and fine and that that was that was really the end of the story whereas mine was you know we we have to call them before they go to bed you know so we have to be here at this time and you know I wouldn't mind speaking to them in the morning just to check that everybody because you know such and such sounded you know a little bit distressed last night or whatever and I really you know it's it became so clear to me that he just didn't have the same feels that I had and so I know there was an element when I would come back here and when we had three children here and just one at home, I would be constantly thinking about how my child was feeling about certain things, yep. not what they were doing, but how they were feeling. You know, what does that look like when you come home from school and you're on your own before dad gets home, you know, two hours later? And, um, you know, what's it like in the morning when you're getting to school and you know I'm not there and um I think I think it might have been because I felt that I was emotionally better at the role do you know that I would pick up the signs and I would see read you know between the lines and all those things that I feel emotionally I do in our family relationship. Yeah, and look, it's also, as you say, it's, you know, I'm the one that people normally go to for that stuff. So yeah. why not? Like she messages me from her bedroom when I'm in the study. So why shouldn't she message me when I'm in another country? <laughs> it's not a big deal. It's the same thing. Yeah. So I get that. And I get that usually there's one person who has a more emotional, caring relationship with the kids. Not that they're loved more. It's just that they are more emotionally in tune whatever, yes. with the yeah. children. My preconceived idea was as children get older and they become more little junior adults or teenagers or whatever, that they, the parents and the children change relationships somewhat mm -hmm. and that their children are more open emotionally to both parents I don't know whether that's the right word but sort of are, are more likely to view parents a little bit differently and so they're not looking for you know hugs and reassurance all the time they're just looking for interactions and conversations and therefore they could choose either parent but yeah. I, as I said I, I might be living in a dream world that was my preconceived idea before I had teenagers yeah. who were 19 and 15. What I love as your children get older is um when your child just so says oh you know I was talking to dad about this you know yesterday or dad and I did this or and you have absolutely no idea that that's happened and it's a, yes that's what I'm looking yes, for yes 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 and that is a beautiful thing you know I saw I saw a certain car and so I messaged dad and um you know dad sent me this picture of this or dad you know rang me about this or whatever we there is a lot of that we talk about this all the time it just keeps coming back to communication 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 both of you uh sticking to the same message all the way through this is what we discussed we discussed that dad would do this while while I wasn't here that you know this is in his wheelhouse while I'm 
unable to help you with this. But I do think maybe there's a risk that you want to jump in and fix things and help things and and do whatever. Of course, it's not a risk. It's 100% true. That's what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> but but I have I also have a lot on here. So I, I, I tried to make a mental cut when I was leaving, not that I'm cutting my daughter off, but I tried to say, okay, like I'm going to deal with all the stuff here and you can deal with all the stuff there. And, of course, every day, you know, my daughter and I, we exchange our wordles and we have a quick chat, whatever. But yeah. it's not like the everyday stuff I was trying to get out of that but obviously that's <laughs> yeah not gonna fly anyway just to traps for young players and as always Kirsty is my parenting guru as her children are just all, that little bit older than mine <laughs> and she has more of them <laughs> so more ideas all right Nikki would you could you tell me what an Esther is and if so do you feel up to date with its rules and regulations since COVID? I was reading in the Two Fat Expats Facebook group and I saw a question about not being able to get an Esther. And I was instantly going back through sort of 20 years of memories of living in North America trying to remember, oh, were Esther's a thing? And if so, how, how have I forgotten them? It turns out the Canadians don't require Esther's and we were in Canada for four years. So that that that's my excuse for why I didn't know about it then. But also by the time we then went to America, we had work permits and work visas and all those things. But Esther's did become mandatory in January 2009. So Nikki, the question that was asked in the group was, what can be done if Esther is denied? Both parents approved. Uh, kids are dual nationals of countries that are both Esther eligible but have only one country's passport at the moment. We're meant to travel to the US on Saturday. <laughs> Any wisdom here, please? So, Nikki, you tell me about your relationship with Esther's and what you know. Well, I, I did know Esther's existed and I knew that you had to have them. And I just I don't couldn't tell you what Esther stands for, but it's electronic something. And and electronic system non- for travel authorization. Right. It's good for non-visa countries. So instead of applying for a visa, it's just sort of like I'm coming to the US, I'm coming from a country that doesn't need an official visa, so I'm just letting you know in case you don't want me to come, I'm flagging you for the system. Yeah. And you do it online, it costs 20 bucks or something, and it lasts for three years. Like it's quieter and you can use it for multiple entries. Two you don't years. have to do one every time. Oh, two years, whatever. <laughs> good, good. Well, I'm telling you what I know about it, <laughs> yeah. so good that you can correct me. So the reason I also know about it is because we also had work visas when we were there and then when my husband was in Europe and returned to the US uh-huh. and because our visa was still valid, he thought he'd just yeah. enter on the visa. No, he got taken to the little room Ooh. and at the airport, which is never a good thing. No, that little room. We all know that little room. And depending uh, on which and, country you're in, the guns get bigger and bigger. Yeah, <laughs> correct. And he was asked quite politely to submit an Esther on the spot, which he did. Yeah. And then that was able to be used. Right. So, yes, familiar with Esther's, but no, this is quite an interesting question on this. And I didn't know that there had been changes to Esther's over there have. And that's why I think this is really important to talk about. And and the reason I knew there had been changes is an amazing woman jumped in and explained what was happening. And it was like, oh, that is really important 
information to know. So yep. if you want to travel without a visa, which is called a VMP, it's the Visa Waiver Program. If you want to travel without a visa, you have to have authorization through the ESTA, the Ele Electronic System for Travel Authorization. And that's prior to getting into the US, whether you come by air or sea. Um, it's a web-based system operation. It's run by the US Customs and Borders. It's, you know, just determined, it determines your eligi eligibility to travel under the visa waiver program. That's what it is. So it enables most inverted commas citizens or nationals of participating countries to travel to the US for tourism or business travel and you get to stay for 90 days or less without obtaining a visa. You've got to have a valid electronic system for travel, a valid ESTA <laughs> approval prior to travel, and you have to meet all the requirements. What is really interesting, I think there's about, I, I, I didn't count them all, but it looked like, you know, somewhere around 40. And I was really interested to see the countries that are on the ESTA because I noticed that, Qatar wasn't one of them and neither was Saudi nor the United Arab Emirates and then I thought oh Ethiopia is not on there either like the countries were very European let's say um and it's so yeah because they're, they're countries that have um reciprocal visa arrangements with the U.S. yes so uh you if those people because we've had so many people that their passports have just expired or run out or whatever <laughs> during COVID. If you have a new passport, your ESTA is now invalid. So Correct. one thing to remember, um, if, you if you've changed country, your ESTA is now invalid. Some of the countries that weren't eligible were Korea, Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria and Yemen and that was all done in 2015 under the Terrorism Act. But what was interesting was that the woman who asked, and I'm going to try and remember this, her children, I think they were all Hungarian citizens, the children had been born in the UK. So mum and dad were Hungarian, kids had been born in the UK, but obviously saw themselves as um, Hungarian citizens. There was a new thing that came in in November 2021, so really not very long ago, that had new ESTA requirements for Hungarian travellers. And because of COVID, nobody really noticed that there were new rules for Hungarian travellers. And the new rules... Um, that are there are that Hungarians have to live in Hungary to be able to use the Esther system. You can't be a Hungarian applying for a, an Esther and be in the UK. You know, you have to be in Hungary itself and leaving. So people who live outside of Hungary can could no longer apply for an Esther. So then they have to go to the US Embassy and apply for a visa and they've got to have an appointment and blah, blah, blah. So it can take months to get one of those interviews, even though you'll probably get your ESTA on the same day. And the visa is a lot more expensive than the ESTA. So I just thought that was a really interesting thing of changes that happened through COVID and no one's really noticing because no one's really traveling and how you can, ha why you have to check these things. Um, 
and just, you know, it's just another one of those nightmarish issues of travel and visas and hold it, I thought it worked this way, what do you mean we're flying out on Saturday and I don't have one? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, and the other thing is is that countries make changes to these situations like they've said, okay, you have to be in Hungary to do it and they don't think about, you know, the diaspora, all the Hungarians who live outside of Hungary who are now going to be impacted (laughs) because if they were living in Hungary, they don't really care. Like they, uh, I mean, governments don't care about people, but if yeah. governments don't care as because they're not a person. But like they, governments create problems that they don't think about because they don't think through all the things. Like, oh, there are Hungarians who don't live in Hungary, mm. and this is going to impact I don't know a million Hungarians or half a million Hungarians. Like you just don't really. Governments don't think through all those things. There are often rule changes that impact people living outside the countries that that are not thought of yes. and also they don't have a big enough political clout to yeah input into the process and is it is it that they don't think about the people that are living outside the country or as we've seen recently in Australia when they shut the borders they actually don't really care so much about people that are living outside I didn't the want country to say that, but <laughs> I I'm here now so I feel I'm trying to feel less bitter <laughs> I think that is something that COVID taught us all is that really once you're outside of your country you're pretty well hooped if uh when it comes no to your cares. government no one cares <laughs> there's another t-shirt another t-shirt I'm an expat no one cares <laughs> just no one cares because that's so contextual in so many oh it's perfect it's perfect we're gonna have the logo on that one yeah okay Kirsty um favorite things what have you got for this week okay so I've started watching We Crashed which I imagine lots of people have started watching We Crashed because it's on Apple TV I haven't finished it because I'm watching it with my son and so we only have specific times that we can watch it together. But I would love to just sit and watch the whole thing. I could devour it in a day. So We Crashed is, it. I was going to say it's the story of WeWork, but it's not. It's kind of the love story at the centre of the rise of WeWork. Um, played, it's about Adam and Rebecca Newman and they are played by Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway, and it is brilliant. Um, Some would say that Adam Newman was mm, eccentric. Some would say completely off the dial. (laughs) Some would say a genius. But really, he was a salesperson. Rebecca Newman lives under the shadow of Gwyneth Paltrow, who happens to be her cousin. So there's a you see at their wedding, every second person asks asks her, you know, is Gwyneth coming? Is Gwyneth coming? Is Gwyneth coming? Um, it's also a great insight to um, the Jewish community in New York, and you just look at the money that. And I know this is a stereotype before I before anyone jumps up and down. But within this particular community in New York, the money is insane. A million dollars from dad for your wedding, uh, you know, to go and buy yourself a nice apartment, just that sort of money everywhere. And, And what that sort of money can give you in your lifestyle of what you believe is possible and what you believe is a pipe dream. 
Sounds a lot like the people that live on the Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the longer I'm here, the more people I meet. Just the Goldie. Okay. Goldie. Um, I love, and I think you've mentioned this before, Smartless, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, Nikki, we, we try not to recommend podcasts by famous people talking to other famous people, but oh, my gosh. <laughs> because we already do that. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I love this podcast. So Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett. Um, so Jason Bateman is just funny. I didn't realise that he was Justine Bateman's brother. I don't know how I what? missed that. How did I you miss know. that? I don't know. Maybe I did know it and I forgot it. Look, but did in- you know that Sean Hayes' cousin Tracy? I mean, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, he always says his sister Tracy. Sister, yeah, sister Tracy. <laughs> explain it. Explain it for my sister Tracy, which which is a brilliant way to get people to you know explain things to your listeners. If you just say it's Tracy, well, because they're Tracy. in industry and they're talking to their friends in the industry. Yes. I mean, the episodes like the Courtney Cox one. I'm not even really sure <laughs> that classifies as an episode. It's basically like a whole lot of friends talking. Yeah. I mean, they talk about how they catch up every weekend and what she makes food for them and yeah. it's like yeah so my favorites i really liked the david spade one and sandra bullock but particularly i went back and listened to dave grohl because with what's happened with the foo fighters recently it's really quite uh well it's it's sad and touching because he does mention his bandmates but he also talks about his kids and i hadn't realized just uh, the musical talent of his kids and how they've travelled with him, and I cannot imagine what that's like to have your dad is the um, was the drummer of Nirvana and is now you know the lead singer of the Foo Fighters, and uh, you travel with him everywhere you go because you're one of the backup singers and you play the drums as well. Um, Jimmy Fallon was really good. Oh, I loved John Hamm. I loved John Hamm. Um, so, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I do love them. And, I mean, I have it has been one of my favourite things before, but I find some of them they just miss a little bit. Mm. I don't know whether it's the research or whether they rely on their, uh, um, yeah. you know, uh, like the Kate Blanchett episode I thought was really, yeah. like, stilted. I didn't think it was great. Yeah. And I just wonder, like, because they have amazing chemistry, the three of them, yeah. and they've worked with so many of the people that they interview, like they know them all personally, more or less. Yeah. Um, and I just so just some of them I just find are a little bit. Mm, I thought that with the Kate Blanchett interview, and I wondered, is it because Kate Blanchett is so far removed from the we're all hanging out together in Los Angeles and yeah. <laughs> um, I, I we've all been on Saturday Night Live and whatever, because Kate, yes. Kate Blanchett, for those who don't know, does in Australia kind of live a very Sydney life, like she's very much involved in the Sydney Theatre Company and her husband is a very... Very, no, I don't. I mean, he's obviously not ordinary because he's brilliant and he's um, a brilliant playwright and director. But they are, they do seem to try and live a very on the down low sort of life. They don't live like movie stars, put it that way. But yeah, I just think their producers could have done a bit more work there for the Kate one. Yeah. And is that because it's us, Nikki, do you think? Because we know more about Kate. We we wanted them to give us more. No, I just think it was sounded stilted. It sounded like one, they didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> like Sean Hayes didn't know how to pronounce NIDA. I'm like, come on. 
And, um, and you know, like they said, oh, so you ran a theatre there. And she's like, yes, we ran the Sydney Theatre for 10 Like I just think that the research was a bit lacking. That's all. Yeah. Like it's not really on them. It's really on their producers. I think they probably go by the seat of their pants. I don't know how much time they give in preparation yeah. for the episodes. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I But I do love it. I'm not criticising it. I do love it. Just saying. Yeah. And, Nikki, the next one is almost like a would you, could you wrapped up in a something I read that I enjoyed and made me think. So there was an article in the New York Times. It was back in March. I've been meaning to talk to you about this for a while. It was, um, you know, people writing and they ask. It's an etiquette question. And Mm. um, so someone had written in and said, I refused to switch seats on a plane. Was I wrong? And the scenario was they were in the bulkhead and um, it was a family and they wanted him to move so that they could all sit as a family together. And he said no. (laughs) And he was writing saying, why am I made to feel so bad for this? Because I booked my flight months and months ahead. I requested that particular seat for that particular reason and why should it be that I should have to give up that seat when a family comes now the reply um was very much no you you're absolutely right you don't have to give it up but you know really with a family is it is it really the right thing to do and maybe you'll feel better and perhaps you know you could have seen um, whether there was a chance for an upgrade. Well, we all, anyone who flies knows that there's no chance for an upgrade anymore. No more. You, your leg could be your leg could be severed from the trolley going past and removing it, and they still wouldn't put you up in business yeah. class. <laughs> They'd wrap it up True. with a piece of um, paper from the economy toilets because heaven forbid you dragged yourself up to business class toilets. <laughs> anyway. But it did get me thinking because when I fly to Qatar, I've never seen this before, but on the particular plane, and don't ask me to tell you what type of plane it is because that's not my bag. I'm not that person. I never know. But on our particular plane, they have the bulkhead. So it has the three, 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 and or three, four, three, I think it is. And for mm-hmm. some reason, uh, row 16, which is behind the first bulkhead, um, only has two seats and so the one seat in the aisle has all this incredible leg room because it just it's when when they start so it must be two four two perhaps I'm not sure I really need to rethink that but I can tell you that the seat on the aisle does not have a seat in front of it and I request that seat you know when I when I remember but I have now put it down as my requested seat as a frequent flyer. Can I have 16, whatever, and whatever? And I was thinking, yeah, but if I do that and I've booked my flight six months in advance and I think I've been a clever, clever clogs for doing that, how would I cope if mum, child, and baby are in the bassinet and then dad says, hey, do you mind moving because they're my, that, that's my wife and children? What would you do, Nikki? So sorry, you're talking about sitting in the bulkhead row. No, in the one just behind it that the has the leg, the leg room. But there's nothing stopping. Okay, the... so here's the thing: yeah. if you're a family, yeah, apart from using the bassinet, like you don't expect to get sat together if you if you're trying to pick the best seats on the plane, mm. right? 
So you've got to think that frequent flyers and whatever, like if there's going to be a seat where there's no, where there's leg room, mm-hmm. don't, as a family, don't try and sit there because there's going to be a disaster. Like if you think you're going to get on the plane and ask people to swap. Mm. So, for example, when we flew from um, Denmark here, I kept an eye on the on the plane and I kept changing where our seats were. So I was I booked us three four three, yeah, and I booked us and we had um, one seat between us that was empty because we were th- I was booking us window and aisle on the way over. Mm-hmm. And then as the plane got fuller, I thought, oh, I feel a bit nervous. They might put someone in the middle seat. Mm-hmm. So I'll just go further back down the plane yeah. and I'll go to the middle, the four in the middle. Always good. Because they fill the, the middle of the, the four the last. So I put us at aisle and aisle on the four in the middle. Yeah. And we were really lucky no one got put in yeah. between us. Yeah. Always go to the and back so, of the plane, people. Always go to the back yes, of the plane. Because I, I, if, you're, if you fly a lot and you're a family, yeah. that's the best place to be. Yes. Yes. Because you've got more space to move around at the back mm-hmm. of the plane. Okay, it takes a long time to get off, which my husband drives him insane. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, now I just let him sit at the front by himself. Oh, you've got, you got to sit in the aisle at the front. We're just getting me down here where we've got a bit of extra space. Yeah. So, but, yeah, no, in theory, I think if you're a frequent flyer, or not a frequent flyer, but if, you, if you're planning to go down on a plane and ask people to swap seats, don't ask when you're asking them to swap out of the best seat on the plane, which basically is the seat you're talking about. If there's a seat, a, 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 an economy seat without with space in front of it because there's not a seat in front of it, yeah. everyone on the plane wants that seat. Yeah. No one's going to swap out of that seat. That's right. But I do Except think... a woman for a family. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's what I'm meaning. I was thinking, what would I do in that scenario? Because, you know, I flew with four children under six and I flew with baby, 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 baby. My whole life revolved around whether I was going to get that bassinet. Do you know, I, I yeah. would think about it and think about it and think about it and ask them to promise, ask them to promise and then get there. And in, inevitably they would say, oh, no, I'm sorry. And then I would jump up and down and say we had to have the bassinet and whatever and then you'd, <laughs> you'd get on your plane and your child was like, they'd tell you that your child was too big to go in it or your child would spend the whole time sitting up in it staring at you <laughs> instead of lying down going to sleep. Lie down. Yes. Lie down. But when you have toddlers and babies, yes, that bulkhead is so important because you the toddler can at least stand up in front of you and, you know, and you have that little bit of extra room for for the bulkhead. So I do think bulkheads should be solely reserved for families. That that people if and that if you're lucky enough that there are no families with babies on board, well then yes you can have them. But I just think babies deserve the bassinet. Families with babies deserve the bassinet seat. So do I, but do they, they deserve the seat that you're talking about? Not. I don't necessarily think <laughs> Which so. is the seat behind. So I could see that happening. See, I don't mind putting up with crying babies. It doesn't, I mean, I've, I've <laughs> years ago I learned how to block that out. I know, right? Yeah. And I just say it because my son really finds it very hard. Yes. He can yes. hear a flying baby at about a kilometre. Yeah. Like I'm not kidding. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then. Ten minutes later, I can hear it. Yeah, so I was thanks like, for that. That's amazing. So, and I'm like, buddy, that was you. He said, yeah, but just because it was me doesn't mean I have to be, you know, yeah, patient now. Yeah, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. There is so much emotional baggage <laughs> involved in carrying a crying baby on a plane. Yes. You just got to give all those people a break. Everyone. Yeah, 
So I would say to someone who's not, who's traveling without children, head to the exit row seat. That's always a good one if you don't have yes. little people. And yes, the back of the plane, because if you're going to be lucky to get an extra seat, it will be at the back of the plane. Absolutely. And that's where I usually get to do my hillbilly business class, where I get the three seats and make the bed and do whatever, is if I, I will always, when I get on the plane, say, is there a chance that I could grab a cup, an extra seat if I go down the back? And they'll tell you whether there is or there isn't. Yeah, Nikki, it's like it's impossible these days to work these things out in advance. Like it all happens sort of the minute you're checking in, doesn't it? Like within that 24-hour space when you're getting your seat. Because you can watch a plane that you check, that you booked on yeah. for months and months and it looks great. Yeah. And then 24 hours before you go, oh, my God, that yeah. looks awful. Yeah. I don't want to be on that plane. Yeah. And I've also learned sometimes people on the inside don't even know. I have a girlfriend who's a travel agent. And I'll always say, you know, because you, yeah, <laughs> Chrissy at um, Phil Hoffman Travel. But I'll always be saying, oh, you know, she's fantastic because she'll say, well, there's two seats left in business or, you know, economy's not full at all. Because if economy's not full at all, I'm grabbing those three seats and making yeah. the most of it. But if economy is jam-packed, then you're thinking maybe I'll use my points to upgrade. Mm-hmm. And then you get really super conscious of, are there any seats left in business class <laughs> and am I not going to be able to use them? Uh, I mean, one of the things that happens in expat life too is usually you, you know a pilot or two floating about. And my girlfriend, Catherine, who's married to a pilot, she was able to look at because she's got the app for the family and friends that shows you how many people are on the plane. So make friends with a pilot or a pilot's partner. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you're right. Nikki, what were your favourite things this week? Okay, so last time Bridgerton was about to drop, and I've I've done it. It's done. (laughs) Bridgerton is done. Season two. Been a lot of commentary about the absence of the Duke and how how that goes. Was it better or worse? I enjoyed it just as much. I think. Yeah, it was different. I mean, what you have to know is. It's based on a set of romance novels. Like it's not like, and so what's going to happen is it's going to be a bad scenario, and then the couple are going to end up together somehow. Yeah, there's going to be like some silly side plots yeah. along the way. Yeah, you just have to enjoy the music and the pageantry and the you know. And I actually really enjoyed the act, the actors. I liked the people that they were focusing on this season. I did enjoy it. Yeah. I did cram it all in, watched it all in one go, and then I've gone back and watched a couple of different episodes since. Ah, yeah, okay. It's done and done. Yeah. Because I think sometimes you don't get everything the first time when you're just doing the bulk watch. Yeah. You're just like trying to get through it. I just want to know how this ends. I want to know how they end up together because I know that's coming. <laughs> the other thing is, is that so since I've been in Australia, Netflix has just changed my algorithm so bizarrely. Yeah. And I know that when you're in different countries, it gives you different algorithms, but for some reason, even based on what I've watched my whole life on Netflix, it's just throwing up different things. So one of the things I've watched since I've been here is Pieces of Her, which is a Netflix series. Mm-hmm. I think it's eight or nine episodes. And it's got Tony Collette and David Wenham, who are both Australian actors. Yes. It's based on a book by Karen Slaughter and it was made during COVID. Mm-hmm. So everyone has an American accent, mm-hmm. but it's so obviously, to me, filmed in Australia. 
but you're meant to think it's filmed in America. Pieces of so, her is quite new though, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. My next thing probably is a throwback. Oh, on okay, my okay, yeah, though. sorry. I think it's quite new, yeah. yeah. So, And there are tiny bits that are filmed in Georgia, which I can actually identify as like, oh, that is in Georgia mm-hmm. because like I used to live in Georgia. So like I did identify that. But And I don't, it doesn't normally put me off knowing where something's filmed or just seeing it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like it just really, I was like, that's just so not how that house would look if it was filmed in America. Do you know what I mean? Like I just kept having those moments where I was looking at it. It's based on a book, which is a bit of a mystery. Yep. I really quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the whole time I was thinking all these actors are Australians speaking with American accents. It, it just seemed really weird to me that that it was done that way. You know but I, but I did, um, it's one of my favourite things, so I'm putting it down. I did enjoy it. But it was just that was if anyone is Australian and watches it or is American and thinks there's eh, something a bit off about this, it will be it will be the filming locations for you. So, <laughs> Nikki, I've watched this. Like I've, I haven't watched it all. I watched the first two or three. I didn't pick up any of that, none of it. Yeah, you see, so the, so where they're living is quite obviously on the south coast of New South Wales. Like it's a holiday location. I'm like, oh, my God, that could be like where I grew up. Oh, I didn't like, pick I that just, at all. Oh, and the big fancy house in that's totally in Sydney. Yeah, no, okay. No, I didn't pick all any right. of that at all, particularly, you know, when the when the daughter, you know, takes off and yes. and she's doing the motels. To me that felt very American, but I didn't pay, maybe I didn't pay enough attention did you know beforehand before you watched it I, I didn't but I did know David Wenham was in it with an American accent so I guess that I I was I had a trigger in my mind right. that, was, that was looking for that yeah. maybe I don't know yeah so because David Wenham is a very Australian based actor is he in the first two episodes I don't think so yeah see I haven't seen him yet he doesn't do American productions very often. Yes. Like you'll see he's very predominant in Australian-based productions. Good friends right? with Kate Blanchett. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. It's it's one of those mysteries like you can work out what's going to happen, etc. But it, it, it's, yeah, no, it's it's good. It has quite a shocking beginning. Yeah. Um, yes. But, but no, I really enjoyed it. Oh, my God. But the thing that Netflix really threw me on was something that I clicked play on because I was like, oh, I feel like a bit of Na- Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah. Uh, was a, an old movie of hers called Hysteria, yes. which is 10 years old. Yes. And I was like, why haven't I ever watched this movie? Like, why have I not seen it? Why has it not been suggested to me or why did I just not seek it out? Yeah. And Hysteria is, I think it was produced by her her project and it's a story about a doctor in England and turn of the century London and he gets a job (laughs) caring for middle-aged women who are subject to various maladies that are directly related to what was called hysteria at the time Mm -hmm. and basically it's about the the introduction of the personal massage device (laughs) known as a vibrator (laughs) But the scenes at the beginning where the doctor is like showing the other doctor how to perform, it's just like, it's just very funny. It's very (laughs) funny. And I love the role that Maggie Gyllenhaal plays. And I just, I really enjoyed the movie. It was just, it was a pleasant surprise. It was one of those things like you pick up a book that you've never known existed before and same kind of thing. Okay, Kirsty, good chat. And we can uh, be in contact next week. Okay. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.